Welcome to Sunday Morning Quarterback with Jay Stockwell and Bob Frady. Andrew Bunderman, distinguished member of the American Army. Welcome to a military week on the Sunday Morning Quarterback. We really appreciate you being here. Uh, for those that don't know, Andrew uh, is an American war hero. Um, decorated by the president himself with the Distinguished Service Cross for the Battle of Camdash in 2009. And we will get to all that. However, we have some more pressing matters that we need to discuss with Andrew, given that he is both a Minnesota Golden Gopher and a deep, deep Vikings fan. And two pretty unprecedented things happened last night. The Gophers lost to Northwestern and blew a huge lead. And then the Vikings have started out 0-3 and, and just lost to the L.A. Uh, Chargers this afternoon. So he's feeling like, like a little bit like a guy that lives in Denver who lost both the Colorado game and the Miami game to uh, Dolphins 70-20 to this afternoon. So, Andrew, you've got some explaining to do. What's going yeah. on with Minnesota yeah, well, teams? First off, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I, this is my first time on a Nebraska football podcast. So, you know, <laughs> welcome, I did try to, 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 to brush up on, on at least a Let's go. Yeah, it's a welcoming <laughs> community. Hopefully it's a welcoming <laughs> community. But, yeah, no. So, thanks for having me. But, yeah, it was brutal. So, I actually, I turned off the Gopher game shortly after, you know, probably midway through the third. Uh, they were up 31 to, I think, to, to 10 maybe, somewhere in that range when I turned right, it off. Right, and, right, right. Um, and I thought it was over. And uh, apparently we decided to play a fourth quarter of trestle ball and it just went downhill relatively quickly on the back half. And I got a notification on my phone that game was over and we lost. So I was highly disappointed. I'd love to give you commentary on what happened in the fourth quarter, but I didn't actually watch it because I thought we'd had Did it you have to up. So, um, very. <laughs> Did you have to extinguish the victory cigar? What? Like, oh, man. Sorry. <laughs> I mean... Sadly, like, I don't know if you guys watched any of that game, but if you look at the stands um, at at Northwestern, they decided to charge, you know, go out onto the field after the game, apparently. But like when I turned it off, there couldn't have been more than like four or five hundred people in the stands. I don't. Wow. I mean, uh, it just I can't believe we lost that football game. I say we like I had some, you know, part in it, but obviously I didn't didn't have a lot to do with with it but uh very very disappointing loss i think that's all a tough i can one. say is given our experience with minnesota fans serves you right you jerks <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean i you know i'm sorry you had uh, the, ex the the rough experience here uh, up in the twin cities but that's a that's a tough loss it was it was stock uh, so, so what's, that sort of what's going on with the vikings the vikings? what is going with the, the vikings man what i mean oh and three Oh, and three is tough, right? I mean, I don't, you know, I, I, you know, I'd love to break it down, you know, but uh, the first two games, it just gave away the football, right? You can't turn the ball over seven times uh, and expect to win. I think that's the biggest thing. Today, it just looked like the Chargers were trying to charger it up and give us the game. And the Vikings said, no, you guys should win this one. I mean, uh, the last 10 minutes of that game was an opportunity for Minnesota to have it. And they just said, you know, we would really prefer to lose go 0 and 3 and have the fans be really frustrated for the next 7 days. I would say it's it's a great opportunity to take care of Carolina next week, but at this pace who knows what'll happen. Is is this the Caleb Williams uh, lottery? Is that what they're trying to do here? I don't think we're quite that bad enough when you look at the Bears, man. I don't think we can oh. I don't think we can go low enough when you watch that team. So I think 
you know, who's number two? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. We'll know. see. Well, but right boy, now it's boy. the Vikings. So here's the thing. <laughs> no, I mean, this who's the number two, like uh, the number two quarterback? The guy from North Carolina, May, I think it's. Oh, he's May. Yeah, he was pretty good. He ripped up the Gophers last week. Yeah, there you go. So there, <laughs> he's already familiar with the state. Here's yeah, the, next, here's the right? thing. Next, next Tom year's Brady, class of a bunch of, bunch of great quarterbacks. Both of, both of you two yeah. listen up for a second. Here's why Tom Brady <laughs> never did commercials, TV commercials during the season. Because the guys who were doing the TV commercials all season, they're having terrible seasons so far. It's like, you, you never saw Tom Brady on a commercial. He's like, he's focused on his craft. Like, these guys are like, look at me. I'm repping this. I'm repping this. I'm repping this. Focus on your craft. Plenty of time for that when you're retired, after you divorce the supermodel. Plenty of time for advertising. <laughs> so, yeah, Kirk Cousins right, is all over. I think Kirk you strike with the all irons, huh? and adjusted up. And I'm like, no, 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 no. the irons cold. That's what you get for advertising in the offseason. Sorry, fellas. Focus. <laughs> all right. So, so we got just one more thing to talk about before we get to Nebraska. I think Dan Lanning, the head coach of Oregon, is my new favorite coach. Did you see the pregame video? where he said the following, uh, we are rooted in substance, not flash. Uh, this, the Cinderella story is over, men. They're playing for clicks. We're playing for wins. Okay, hey, this, listen. This, Stop this it. Game, this, Stop this it. game isn't going to be played in Hollywood. It's going to be played on grass. Oh, my Stop God, it. what a if great... Coach, what, if Coach Dion was the coach of Nebraska and came out 3-0, and you'd be like, he's just really confident, man. He's a confident guy. Yeah, he's a bad game. It's like, Leave them alone. They they got that. They got their. We got our own problem. Let them worry about them. But 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 that wasn't about. It's not about Coach Prime, right? I mean, I think Dan Lanning, and I'm not going to say I'm a big. I loved the speech. I thought it was cool. Um, I think it was a, a a way to to be aggressive and frontal and and talk to the team, but at the same time, not. I think make it. Uh, I think it was a, a way to, to to do it around a team focus as opposed to the personal focus the week before that might have been a little bit more agitating to to the teams, right? I, I thought it was great. So if we use the transitive properties since uh, Colorado beat Nebraska by, what was it, 24, and they lost to uh, uh, Oregon by 36, does that mean that Oregon would beat Nebraska by 84 points? <laughs> Now come on, Bob. You're on. You're you're on a Nebraska podcast. You're oh, I know. I just, are... I'm, use, I'm using transitive properties here. I just don't want to make sure I got the math got the math right. I, oh. It depends on how much they rush the ball. If you can find an opponent that only tries to run the football, you guys would probably be pretty good. Oh yeah. Well, exactly. Right? Because we've we've <laughs> never given up. We've never given up more than forty six yards, uh, which leads into the game. So the Huskers won their second game, twenty eight to fourteen versus Louisiana Tech. I think Bob, we did a pretty good job, kind of calling it. We said thirty-five to seven. It was twenty-eight fourteen. It, 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 it was freakish. Two touchdowns. It was twenty-eight to seven, and then they had that lightning strike, and 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 I was like, Stockwell said thirty-five to seven. This is going to land on thirty-five to seven, and I'm going to have to hear about it for the next week. Well, I'm pretty curious. Thirty-five to seven, entire time. So I'm not happy that it's not thirty-five to seven, but you got the total right, which is good. So we said. Uh, Nebraska would win with a stout defense, another gritty performance by Heinrich Harburg, and despite a, a depleted running back room, we were going to be just fine. And they end up putting uh, up, I'll give you the stats here for a second, 312 yards rushing. With, and to your point, Andrew, held the opponent to just 46 yards rushing. 
that's the uh, that's the highest total of four, for four games. So Nebraska ranks number three in rushing defense in the in the uh, uh, all of FBS. So really, really gritty defensive performance. Heinrich Harburg. I I can't imagine. I don't know if you guys notice it when he runs the ball. He's he's holding that ball. No one's ever gonna. He's never gonna fumble because he he runs the ball high and tight and just tucked in really hard. He's the fastest guy on the field. Um, have you and, noticed and that? that AJ, have you noticed that yeah. when he runs the ball, he looks just like Forrest Gump? He runs the ball like Forrest Gump. I thought he was going to run out of the end of the stadium, like run across America and put the smiley face or something. It's like, where's he going? He's running. Forrest, run, Forrest, run. It's yeah, he's, he's running, he's running up, 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 upright, and he's got the ball tucked in right here, and no one's going to get it. From, like, knee braces are know, flying off. He's like, run, 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 run. <laughs> he doesn't, the guy does not turn the ball. He, he, he's an accurate passer as well, right? The best part is that so, is a, uh, on the first run, his, his playbook was flapping on his arm, so he was studying and running at the same time, which is why they did better in the second half. <laughs> It, it's a technique. It's a technique. It, Does this mean it's... you guys aren't going back to the turnover machine that you had for the first couple of games? Oh my God! I hope not. I really well, hope he, he's kind of he, won won the battle. He came in for a, a play, and he was a little bit worse than me. And it's like, you sprained an yeah. ankle. You did multiple weeks. It's not. It's not something. So you got over it in two weeks. And he and he tried to run, and it was it, it was as an old guy watching him run. And I was like, wow, even old guy better than that. So just going down the list here, let's let's finish the the stats here real quick. Uh, total offense four hundred nineteen versus three thirty eight. Great great job on three fumbles, none lost for Nebraska. There was one interception. Time of possession thirty two versus twenty seven. Uh, penalties were in pretty decent shape. Uh, six for fifty five versus twelve for a hundred. Um, so uh, eighty seven thousand one hundred fifteen in attendance. Uh, so really kind of a solid game. You're right. There was some, there was the lightning delay and they came out a little bit flat after that. They decided to play just Chubba Purdy after that, just to give him some reps. Uh, but the game was pretty much in hand at that point, finished up 28 to 14. I think Nebraska has an issue that for them to be successful and get a bowl this year, they have to do one thing and that's run the football. And Satterfield, their offensive coordinator, seems resistant to that idea. Until people stop them running the football for 200-plus yards a game, they need to continue to run the football. Now, that that may come to fruit, you know, against Michigan. Who knows? But running the football is just like farming, which is why people from Nebraska like it so much. It's like, you just got to pound the ground. Ground, pound the ground. Pound and pound and pound it. You'll eventually have success. And all this fancy stuff just gets them into trouble. So it's like you run, 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 and then you throw short passes that hopefully turn into long passes because the safeties are rolled up. But that's just me. What do I know? I'm a fan. I just vote with my head or my heart, not with my head. I think Heinrich is very accurate, though. So I think um, to open up the run even further, a little bit of play action, a little bit of short passes to the flats. And, and you know, I think they he hasn't pitched it yet. He's running an option, and he hasn't ever pitched it, right? Not once. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I all, the, the, all the sports writers like, in Nebraska yeah. were, were <laughs> the option is run to the end zone, right? Uh, a yeah. little Forrest Gump trot down the end zone. All those sports writers in Nebraska this weekend were, were talking about, uh, you know, just comparisons. They had a Hall of Fame thing, and Taylor Martinez was in town. And so they went back and compared Heinrich Harburg all the way back to Eric Kraut, Scott Frost, Jamal Lord, um, 
all the running quarterbacks in our history. And uh, I think this kid is special. I mean, and, and 6'5", 215, fastest guy on the team. So I, I think there's a bit of a dilemma. I, I'm going to be really upset if we go back to your point, Andrew, the turnover machine of, of Jeff Sims. We called this out in our first podcast. He came to uh, from Georgia Tech with 31 turnovers, most in FBS, um, had thrown 25 interceptions in 23 games. So um, I, I like I like this step forward for Nebraska. I think the evolution of the team, the beginning of the Matt Rule era, is on its you know way. And I think the preseason predictions of both Bob and I, Bob had them eight and four for the season, and I had them at seven and five, are look pretty good right now. And so uh, is is yeah. this uh, this Harburg young man? Is he a, is he a portal guy, or did you guys recruit him on a high no. school? He's a, he's from Nebraska. Played for okay. Cardi- North or Cardi Catholic. Oh, Nebraska man. scholarship quarterback. Yeah, yeah. Since, since Chip Crouch, right? Like in, in years. Even more fun. Uh, Even more yeah. fun. So, Bob, any uh, any other final observations about the, the game? Uh, I, I was pretty impressed. You know, on, on both sides of the ball, special teams look good. Um, Who else had a touchdown? Good, good, good solid win. Oh, your, your boy Fedoni. Yeah, that's right. Fedoni. And again, I thought that, I thought that was a, a very accurate pass. Good play call. Um and yeah he's he's gonna be good he's another six, I'm four, still mad we lost to Minnesota I mean I know I have to let it go at some point but come on you, fumble that you should be away. you guys gave us that like you gave us the game yeah, at the yeah. in the last five you, minutes of the fourth quarter you had it you returned you the favor yesterday like is, is this oh. is this like one of those gifts that you just keep regifting to other teams it's like okay I, we we I, we, we regifted this to you you gave it to Northwestern now Northwestern's gonna give it to like Austin P or something like that. Well, I I don't know. You know, when I look at Minnesota, I, you got Ohio State and Michigan on the schedule this year, right? And so, yep. you start looking at at where the wins are going to come from. And if you can't close out Northwestern, it, it concerns me. And now all of a sudden, our freshman running back is is banged up. Don't know how bad it was, right? But we run a freshman running back for for thirty one times last night, and then he goes out at the end of the game because he's hurt. And we obviously don't trust the rest of the the backfield, so I don't know what's going on there. And uh, you guys I don't know. miss the rest Mo. Of the you guys miss Mo. You guys miss Mo. You build all lot bets around. We Mo. had Tanner and Mo here for the better part of a decade, right? Oh. I, I, you know, like I mean, I think they were here like six years or something like that. And we had, we had like an old lineman that I think here was seven, right? I mean, just an absurd amount of time. He might have been closer to his fortieth birthday than me. I don't know. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, so good game. We've got Michigan coming in. Uh, we're, we'll do a pre, we'll do a prediction pod on Wednesday, Bob. Um, I'm actually feeling uh, like it could be a decent game. I still think Michigan will win. Uh, their defense is a lot better than anything that we've seen, but I do think that we can run the ball and uh, maybe maybe eat some clock and keep it somewhat close. By the uh, way, we'll leave no, that. You know who is susceptible the, the to the run way. is USC. I, I attended the USC Arizona State game last night because my daughter goes to ASU and it was parents' weekend. Some team is just going to pound the ball on those guys. Talk about an undisciplined football team. So they're a paper tiger. They're going to go down. Washington or Oregon, whoever wins that game will win the Pac-12, and whoever wins the Pac-12 will win the CFB uh, playoff. Nobody else is close. The 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 uh, the other team, the SEC, is weak this year. Uh, the Big Ten's not that strong. The Pac-12 is like going out with a vengeance. So. 
vengeance tour. That is a bold September statement right there. That yeah, is a very a bold of, September statement. Most of my statements are bold in September because that way they can either be magnificently <laughs> or they can die in the vine. Either way, I'm fine. Uh, hey, Bob, is Caleb Williams as good as he looks? Is he the, like just the man? I know he signed the trophy winner last year. He's, he's better. better than that, huh? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. He, wow. So he has incredible uh, vision. He can throw on the run. He's he's a wonderful. He's like if he is Shador Stevens. Shador Stevens. I mean uh, Sanders. Shador Sanders. Sanders. Shador Sanders. I always say the wrong name. So I gotta I gotta like write stuff down. He's like if if you put a Sanders on top of a Sanders, that would be Caleb Williams. He's that good. Wow. I'll tell you who looked good last night. Bo Nix. Bo Nix from uh, yep. I think he was. Like twenty eight for thirty three, two hundred seventy six yards through like a one seventy six passer rating. Yeah, um, they that guy. They looked like they were just playing catch. Yeah, so. they have wonderful. They they do a great job of recruiting. I mean, when you got Nike right there, you know the yeah. NIL money's pretty good. So right. you know they they're doing they're doing some good things up in Oregon and have been for a while. But the, but anyway, yeah, I I still the Big Ten West is there for the taking. So. Whoever manages to rally and get a decent offense, good defense going for the rest of the season, still has a chance to win the whole thing. It's the Big Ten West is awful. I, I think is what the words you are actually going for right now. They're playing bad. I Since mean, we right in, now you yeah. you got to feel good about the way honestly where Nebraska sits in the Big Ten West, right? Like, I mean, oh yeah, I, Iowa didn't exactly uh, show out last night. I don't know if you guys saw that one at all, but it, they, it looked rough. Well, they, they had scored so many points in the previous game that they used up their allotment of points per game. <laughs> yeah. So they had, to, they had to put a zero on there to get the average back down to where they felt comfortable. Yeah, no, I mean, the Big Ten West looks rough right now. I, I'm hoping that most of the teams get better as the season goes on, right, just so we can see some some better things. I think Nebraska's trending in the right direction. Minnesota's not. I don't know what's going on in Wisconsin. i got to pay more attention up there, but I, I won't watch them more until October. But it yeah. certainly seems like the the West, to your point, is very much takeable for somebody that wants to string four wins together, yeah. or or you know in in late October. It it, it feels that way. So I made notes about the Big Ten and Nebraska here last Whoa, night. Wow. You know what I mean? Like I I Somebody's stayed up prepared. late. What's wrong? You know, with I like to. You know, it was. I I can I can attest the fact that uh, Andrew comes prepared for everything except golf, but we'll talk about that in a minute. Yeah, <laughs> Bom- Bomberman. So Bomberman. So let me get Bomberman. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So uh, let's turn our attention to our guest here again. Thank you, Andrew, for being here. Uh, three weeks ago for the Minnesota game, we held an event at the United Country Club in support of the Nebraska Business School, and Andrew was the guest speaker, and he absolutely uh, blew away this this audience. Um, and I'm just going to show you a little picture here that they sent me, Andrew. They put the picture on on metal and and framed it, and then told a little story on the back about the yeah. event. Very which nice, is, which is really neat. That um, is good. But but let me let me just try to put fill in the blanks for everybody here a little bit. So how I just discovered Andrew, I don't know how COVID went for everybody else, but for me it was war movies and bourbon, and uh, in 2020. Uh, in that order. This, in uh, that order. <laughs> and in 2020, I was watching this new movie that came out called uh, The Outpost. Um, it was based on a book written by Jake Tapper. 
and um and i'm and i'm watching it. it's based based on a true story the battle of camdash the most decorated battle since world war ii and um in in watching it i noticed uh this guy with a minnesota hat and i was like well this is a true story this has to be real uh and so lo and behold i look andrew up on uh, linkedin and sure enough he lives right here in minneapolis and uh i, I connect with him on linkedin send him an email and invite him over to play golf and uh and then we uh, we played golf and i asked him about 500 questions about the battle over 18 holes uh, I should remind everyone that I won that match by one one shot. Uh, <laughs> Indeed, that is that is true. That is true. Since then, Andrew uh, has been. We've 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 memorialized that into a tournament that we call uh, the Bunderman Open, and we've been playing it every year. And we've invited our friend uh, Randall McDaniel to play with us. And we'll talk more about that in a second. But let me just read, if I can, and I hate to do this to you, Andrew, because I know this is probably embarrassing for you to hear this, but just I, will, I won't read the whole thing, but I just want to read a part por portion of your bio that would sort of put this in context for everybody. Um, during a tour of Afghanistan in 2009, then First Lieutenant Bunderman was awarded the Distinguished Service Cross by the President of the United States for Extraordinary Heroism while engaged in an action against an enemy of the United States while serving as acting commander of Bravo Troop, 3rd Squadron, 61st Cavalry Regiment, 4th Brigade Combat Team, and the 4th Infantry Division. So in that battle, there were two, there are two living Medal of Honors, Honor winners. Um, there, uh, the Distinguished Service Cross, which Andrew was awarded. Um, and it was a, a horrific battle. Um, and as Andrew told the t the team assembled in the Nebraska event, they were in a what he called a kinetic battle for 35 days, um, and then ultimately uh, the Taliban attacked with 400 plus and correct these numbers if I have them wrong, and they were on an outpost with just 53 people. Um, and what I thought the movie got extraordinarily right is the camaraderie that exists, and it's different than everybody would think in a real military unit. Um, it's, it's a little bit of sophomoric, it's a little bit fraternal, it's a little bit, uh, uh, quite a bit of jocularity, a little bit of humor. Uh, and I think they did a pretty good job of capturing that in, uh, in the movie. Um, and so over the last three years, we've been running the Bunder and open for three years now. We've gotten to know, uh, Andrew quite well. Uh, we, Bob and I actually played Andrew and, and, um, Randall, this year the Bunderman Open, and I think they both left with a little more money, a little less money than they came with. Uh, <laughs> I guess so, thirty yes. big ones, uh, yes. <laughs> thirty. But, <laughs> but but Andrew, um, just for I know this is this is maybe a little awkward on a football podcast, but um, you you talked about a couple of things in this thing that were were really. I think really hit the audience, the notion of the importance of winning in a war setting. Uh, and then at the end, I'd love you to talk about like, your thoughts on how we left Afghanistan. And because I know you have a very unique take on that. So thank you for coming. Sorry for that long preamble. Uh, but, but if you could just share a little bit about that experience um, and what it meant to you and the people that you went through it with. Yeah, no. Uh, hey, hang on, hang on appreciate one second. the intro. It was good. Um, hang on one second, Andrew. Um, we're not going to call that a preamble anymore. We're just going to call it an amble. 
the Stockwell starts here. <laughs> kind of ambles around a little bit, <laughs> circled around. <laughs> Thank you for that amble, Jay Stockwell. Over to you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, <laughs> that's tough to follow that portion of it. Well, well done there. You know, but um, yeah, no, it was good. So there was, yeah, yeah, Ty Carter and then Clint Romache are the living Medal of Honor recipients. Um, good dudes and have had the opportunity to continue to stay in touch with those guys over the years. And then uh, Gallegos also was uh, awarded a DSC uh, posthumously um, as well. So um, had the opportunity to serve with some some great folks. Um, you know, a couple of things in there that I, I always bring. One, the opportunity to serve with a lot of great people. What is best described sometimes is, is so- sophomoric and uh, fraternal and, and some of those big words you use, Jay. I think is really just a special, special type of relationship that you have and you don't get in many other places. And I know you, you know, I watched a couple of other podcasts and you fly the little plane around in front of the screen sometimes, right? But I'm sure you still have relationships with some of those um, yeah. people you you spent a lot of time uh, with. And it's just a different kind um, of relationship, right? And a friendship that's just very, very different. And um and in some ways, sports is quite, like, I don't want to compare the two, right? Because I'm not, but sports has a similar type of an atmosphere where uh, people connect with each other in different types of ways, right? I've been lucky enough to go off into some business communities and, you know, you build bonds and relationships and friendships with folks, but it's it's a different type of transactional relationship than what you tend to see. Um, and so it's uh, just a really special uh, relationship, and I'm glad that came through in the movie, right? I I hope people take that away as as something that that is out there. And is it because you don't have to be overly concerned about people's feelings? Spit it out there. It, I don't think it's about feelings. I think it's a comfort level with people, um, and knowing that the individual you're with, um, always will put you before themselves, right? Like that's right. And that's a different type of, and so. Like you feel very open and willing to communicate with that individual, whether it's to your point, not not necessarily caring about feelings, but it's because of the way that you know how they think about you. Even when they're as mad as they could possibly be at you, they would still do anything for you, right? Like they could hate you and they would still do anything for you. And so I think um, that allows you to, to have a communication style that's very, very different than what most people experience in their everyday lives. I okay. went to 29 Palms one time and I did a show there. And we were talking to some of the guys who would serve over in the Middle East. And they told us a story about a guy who wasn't necessarily that well-liked, but someone threw a grenade into their, their hole and he jumped on it and ended up passing away because he put himself, he put his teammates ahead of himself and just sacrificed himself to save the team. And, and I never really thought about it that way, which is which is a much different way. So apologies if you can flip, but that's, uh, that's a pretty powerful uh, communication level with people, for sure. Andrew, for the people that have watched the movie, uh, explain what you were doing in such a remote location, because I think that's important context for, for this story. In the earlier 2000s, right, 2005, 2006 timeframe, that part of Afghanistan was relatively friendly to uh, coalition forces. And so um, at that point in time, 
the the U.S. Army and coalition forces had really transferred to kind of a coin strategy where we were trying to embed units closer to population centers um, and spend time within the population so that you could work to, um, I guess, develop infrastructure and government and governance, right, in these economies of scale that allowed people to to kind of, I guess, move forward in a different way than previously had been under the Taliban. And um, at, like, again, when we first established, not my unit, but other units established cop Keating, it was, it was relatively friendly. And so um, it was put in a very, it was an austere location. And, and at the time you could drive there on a very narrow road. It was, it was still a very dangerous drive. I mean, we actually had soldiers who had perished previously because their vehicles rolled over down cliffs into rivers, etc. Um, because it's hard to drive to. So it eventually came became an air centric location where we only came in on on helicopters. But um, it was close to a couple of different villages or walkable to a couple of different villages. So so that's why it was located there, even though it was at the base of of a a bunch of hills or or foothills and mountains. There was some Overwatch with some some OPs, but no direct line of sight. But it was placed there uh, so you had the ability to really project force and and um, communication within the local population down within that valley. And did you know uh, there was a Nebraska connection to the, the crew that was out there, Lieutenant Euskis? Did you know him? I, I did not know him. He was in a, a, a previous unit. Got it. Got it. But a Nebraska guy, nonetheless, that served yes. in the same area. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And, and, and he had, uh Oh, go ahead. Sorry, Jay. He ended up uh, uh, being killed, unfortunately. Yes. Yes. Um, and Brad Larson, another Nebraska native. I think uh, Doan College guy was, oh, was yeah. there in my unit as well. I think the picture you're, you're referencing that uh, is there, there's one with with Clint, uh, myself, and then Brad is there as well. I think he happens to be wearing a Nebraska hat. So How disappointed. Uh-oh was your wife with you after she saw the movie and how handsome you were in the movie versus how you are in real life? <laughs> like, was she mad for like a week or was it two? Did she forgive that? What what happened? <laughs> At the, you know, we've been married a lot of years now, so she's used to just constant disappointment. <laughs> so it was probably, okay. She was probably more disappointed when I came home and said I lost to you too. Yay, who's playing golf? <laughs> <laughs> so so uh so andrew talk just let's talk about the the, the final battle um and then i want to ask you about the question that was asked at the event um <clears throat> about uh, the, the way we left Af- afghanistan just talk about this the, the battle and how it played out it was you represented in the meeting it was 35 days and then the, the, the more concentrated battle happened out of the end how did all that unfold yeah, so <clears throat> try to add a little detail. So we had over the course of that summer, I, I described it as a kinetic battlefield, meaning you're in, you know, direct fire, indirect fire, you're you're actively engaging the enemy with with some layer of fire on, on a given day. And so for for roughly a month leading up, uh, you referenced 35 days, every single day we had some level of of engagement with the enemy. And, and that was true throughout most of the summer of 09. Um, and then, and then on October 3rd, yeah, obviously it was a, a different type of a, uh, of a situation. Yeah. So the unit of 53 engaged by, by roughly 400, uh, Taliban, uh, forces, 
Um, we spent yeah. the day both at uh, Cop Keating and, and OP Fritchie, you know, working to <clears throat> defend that ground and then counterattack and go through all the activities that, that happened on that. But um, very much a, a multifaceted engagement, right? So really when you break down ground combat, a lot of it comes down to who has the ability to, to shoot, to move and to communicate better. And, and usually if you do those three things better than the enemy, you're going to win the day. Um, and, and so the, the enemy did a really good job for, for the first several hours yeah. of decreasing our ability to, to do those three things really, um, it, it particularly to shoot and to move, we were able to communicate well still, but, um, it took us a while to regain the freedom of maneuver, right? Like we had RPGs, there was cruiser weapons, they had heavy weapon systems, indirect fire. And, and it really hindered our ability to use our indirect fires, our cruiser weapons, maneuver our forces. We're in a, a location that was a long ways away. So, you know, it took over an hour to get indirect air support. So it just, you know, it took us a little while to get that. And, and eventually, um, you know, the team, he was able to, to regain that freedom of maneuver um, and regain the initiative, right? So we worked with indirect fire, we worked with our rotary wing aircraft, we worked with fixed wing aircraft, and eventually you just start taking little bits back, uh, bit by bit. There was a QRF that came in later in the evening that was able to secure some more higher ground above us and push down to our location. Um, and you, you just keep working uh, in small teams. And, and what it comes down to is, you know, you, <laughs> set up a base of fire maneuver and, uh, and just get after it. And so, uh, as much as we talk all the time about how warfare has changed over the years and it does, it constantly evolves with different weapon systems and, and the tactics and, and platforms and all these different things. Um, it always, at least to this point in time comes down to soldiers. Um, going and taking territory with the support of all those different things. But at the end of the day, it's, it's still, still guys on the ground running, running forward and, uh, always super proud of the way the team always ran to the guns and, and move forward. I'd like you to, I haven't served. My dad served for 31 years and would never talk about it. He's a world war II veteran. Stockwell's experience as well. There were two drinks and the commander's daughter. And I can't really relate to that. Uh, <laughs> I was, uh, oh, I was in the back of the airplane. We were flying around. Next thing I know, oh, look at it. Um, but I would imagine it would be completely terrifying to be in that environment. Or is it you just become so focused that you don't even recognize what's going on? How did, emotionally, how did that play out? It's a great question. I think everyone in some fashion has fear right now how you react to the immediate rush of that is really important and i credit the army with with really training soldiers well to to how you react right after it um and then to a certain extent there is some muscle memory to it right so Jay referenced, you know, we spent months before this where we had direct engagement with the enemy and doing a lot of different things. And, you know, you saw, you know, people 
get her. You kind of went through these different iterations of things happening. And I, I think some of that prepares you to do better the next time. If you approach it correctly, it doesn't mean uh, you don't get, it doesn't mean people don't get frightened. It doesn't mean it changes decision-making. Um, but it does allow you to, I think, take a step back, breathe. And, and I don't mean take minutes to make decisions, but maybe you, you take, make a decision in a second or two. Um, and, and that extra second or that extra beat may make all the difference, right. In, in how you respond. And so, um, there's something to it. I, I think how you respond to it, if you breathe and think about what you want to do and what you're trying to accomplish for one second, you'll, you'll generally make better decisions than if you drastically just try to go do something crazy. Um, but, um, it's a, it's an incredible rush of adrenaline and that you have to fight through in order to, to continue to really focus on what you're trying to do. So Andrew, there was this part where Romache, like, we got to go take back the weapons. We got everything we need here to, to win this battle. Mm -hmm. Was that represented in the movie accurately? Yeah. I mean, I think Hollywood probably takes uh liberty with, you know, words. It's hard to, to always come back with the exact verbiage of things, but generally speaking, you know, when, when we'd reach our limit of, of, how far we were going to compress that. Yeah. It was, Hey, we're going to go, go to the, um, ammo control point next. Right. That was where you wanted to go take back. It provided us with a great level of, uh, concealing cover location to, to go from. So I think it made the most sense when you look at it, but yeah, that was, that's generally accurate. Yeah. Well, very cool. Thank you for sharing this story again. I know you blew away that, that crew that was, uh, there at the Atlanta country club. Uh, everybody represented to me that it was just such a great event. Uh, but at that, the last question that was asked there was about your feelings about how the U.S. exited uh, Afghanistan, and I thought your I thought your answer was pretty insightful and compelling. You want to just share that? Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, it's obviously disappointing when you see the exodus out of the the airfield, right? That's hard to watch. Right. A lot of people gave up a lot in, in Afghanistan. Now, I would challenge that most of us always knew eventually you're going to leave in some fashion. Right. Like we're not there to to become occupiers for long term. Uh, but I think if you look strategically across the globe, we keep numbers of forces um, in all parts of the world. Right. Um, in smaller amounts. And for the last few years um, in Afghanistan, we had a few thousand soldiers and generally speaking force pro projecting a small presence um the ability really just to to make sure the government had the the capability to maintain control to a certain extent whether it was everywhere or just a small portion um and i think what i struggle the most with and i, I did a couple interviews afterward and i think what i really struggle the most with is there's a whole generation of girls and young women in particular that had the opportunity to go to school and have jobs and do freely what they wanted to do, right? Like if you were born in 2004, you had 15, 16 years of 
the ability to go do whatever and and live what we would consider a for lack of better terms a western style being able to to make your own decisions and i think we take for granted um the fact that in the span of a week all of a sudden all of those human rights are gone now and I, it's really disappointing to me that we couldn't figure out a better way to at least preserve a presence that allowed governance to make sure that we could enforce what I would consider basic rights for all citizens, right? And we should have done better in that regard. There, there's very few people I think that would that be like, yeah, we should have 100,000 soldiers there for eternity, right? Like that's not a good way to do it. It's too expensive, but it's really disappointing now when you look at what's happening in Afghanistan, mass starvation, across a lot of the population like it's just really really disappointing and we could have done so much better and we should expect so much better from from our leaders like this wasn't hard to see all these young women who had experienced like a degree of freedom had it taken away from them literally overnight and so the changes would have been drastic and dramatic in their lives. Uh, and another issue is I, I think we left a lot of people behind that helped the army, um, with the promise of, you know, having a connection back to the U S at some point. And a lot of those folks got left behind in the way we left. Isn't that right? Yeah, certainly. I mean, I think the efforts continued. I think what's interesting is look at all these organizations that have spent you know, that that crazy 7, 10, 15 days when it became known that you know, essentially the government was going to fail, right? It was imminent. Um, think about the the number of ex-service members that literally went over there trying to trying to help out. And then they built these networks trying to figure out who is where. And they're still doing that to this day. There are people still working on it. And um, I'm grateful for the effort they put Put into that we have the ability to so much better we have so many really smart people in places that can make a difference and yet for whatever reason we are unwilling to come to grips with the fact that we deserve so much better uh, and can can put so much better leaders up front and that's across everywhere it's just really disappointing we can do better than what we've done i know this is a this is a football podcast but i, I have to ask you as a former military guy watched what's going on in Afghanistan very, very closely. And when you, when you were talking how battles are, you know, come down to the fundamentals, the three fundamentals, that's literally what's going on there. Now, do you see that ending in, or are we, are we looking at another forever war here? How do you see that unfolding based on your own experience? Sorry, I, where were you referencing? I'm sorry. Yeah. Ukraine. Sorry. I didn't make that clear. Uh, right. Like, I don't know a lot about Ukraine. Obviously I read what's yeah. in the news. It sounds like they make progress here and there. I can't really speak to how I think it'll go. I, I don't really know. I think it's important to articulate a U.S. policy of containment and strength and prosperity for people that want it. And so I, th I do think it's important that we focus on, on supporting that in some fashion. I, I would love to see our leaders really come out with, with clear goals of what we expect. And, and what we think we can provide um, and assist with that may allow for better success, right? And I think yep. sometimes it's, hey, we're gonna do this, we're gonna do that. And and you could um, maybe provide some more clarity to the public that would allow them to be more supportive of, of what's happening. But I, I do think it's an opportunity to 
show uh, where the free world stands. And I think that's important and, and it should be. Yeah, it's I I watch it very closely and I look at sources for, uh, you know, coming directly from you know, experienced retired military officers that are watching this thing really, really closely. And it's just unclear. Um, and it seems like support in Congress is kind of waning. Zelensky was in town for the U.N. and they wouldn't yep. give him another audience with Congress. Um, um, but I, but I also don't want to get in another forever war. Um and I just I don't know what the off ramps are in this one. It's just not clear to me how how this yeah. works. And I think that's you know. I think it's valid, right? Like, what is the end expectation? Where do we think we can get to? I, I do think it's also important to to make sure we keep that line of, hey, we we don't really want to get into a a frontal conflict where we've got forces there, you know, or at least in, in that right. regard. So, um, to this point, I think they've done a good job. In, in that that's aspect, I think, you know, the American people have been extremely forthcoming with their, their, their money and, and resources. And I do hope, I guess I really hope that, um, our, our leadership is looking at it and saying, Hey, we need to reevaluate what our, our military industrial supply chain looks like, how fast we can make ammunition, how fast we can make long range missiles, what, it, you know, how are we prepared? Because I don't necessarily think it's just about, we talk about, I, I reference shoot, moving, and communicate. That's what it's going to come down to. But, you know, how do you overwhelm them with firepower? And if we don't have the ability to make more than everybody else, that that's, that's a problem. And, right, right. you know, we have great technology, but if you can't make, um, a shit ton of it, it, it may not matter. Right. So let's, right, let's right. figure out that now and, and go make more stuff. Right. You know, whether it's, it's howitzers and ammunition and, and just straight up small arms and crew serves and all these things that you need to have on the shelf ready to go. I think if it's not a wake up call, people really should understand why it's not because, um, there are other folks, it's a, it's a dangerous world. And as much as we, don't want it to be a dangerous world it is and you really want to have the ability to to beat the hell out of the wolf at the door and so we should be taking note well i think that's an appropriate uh place to wrap it up and i just want to say thank you for doing the nebraska event this you've been so generous with your time uh one of my favorite things of the year is the bunderman open and getting together with our buddy randall mcdaniel who he's just a wonderful human being he's i mean the, the kindest individual ever right such a wonderful person great dude yeah yeah and and well for those who don't know he's all a hall of fame lineman for the vikings and uh i met him at a golf tournament and we, we were both talking about getting our knees replaced and that's how we got to be in a discussion with him and then we yeah. invited him to play golf i didn't know i was the only one in the room that didn't know who he was <laughs> at that time Oh, he's my my age, Arizona State Sun Devil. Yeah, uh, really, really good dude. And so we're ha we have uh, an annual golf event with him every year now. So really enjoyable. And uh, who does who does Minnesota have next week? The Illinois, if I remember correctly. But don't take yeah. that as gospel. I got to look at okay. the schedule. And we've got we've got Michigan. So the Big Ten season continues, and uh, it's I think you outlined a really interesting race for the Big Ten West here. So. Uh, you are welcome back here anytime, sir. And uh, 
uh, if, if any of your buddies make it to town, let me know. I'd love to, love to have dinner with you guys. Yeah. And I was wrong. I was very wrong. It's Illinois or sorry, it's Louisiana, not Illinois. So extremely <laughs> off. So <laughs> extremely off. Why are, they playing a Nard, why are they playing a, a non-conference game now? Yeah, who knows? I'm sure we bought somebody out. I'm not sure. <laughs>